All right, John chapter 8. John chapter 8. We're going to wrap it up today. There's a lot of verses. There's a lot of verses. And, um, and so, you know, we typically open our time up by reading the Word and then uh, saying a prayer over our time in the Word. And that is what we're going to do. But it is an extended reading because there's a lot of text. So this is John 8, 31 through 59. That's a chunk. That's a chunk. But can we just... Whenever I'm reading, can we just not want the reading to be over? Can we just enjoy the reading of God's Word? One of the reasons we do this is because Paul told Timothy, but through inspiration of the Holy Spirit, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture. So this is one of the best parts of our service. It's really the only perfect thing that's going to happen because God's Word is perfect. And so uh, let's just read this and hear it and receive it. Now this is John 8, uh, 31 through 59. Are you ready? Here we go. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will, you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And a slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You were doing the works your father did. They said to him, we are not born of sexual immorality. We are from, we have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies." But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me? Which of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Well, the Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? And Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews answered him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God, but you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You're not yet 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you that you've just allowed us to gather in this room. And um, I thank you that you, your spirit's already moving and stirring in our heart and Lord, I pray that as we open up your word um, to hear from you, that you would speak, that you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to receive a word from you. Help us to 
understand and apply your word to our life, God. Father, I pray that um, you would set us free today. That you would set people free today. That we would know the truth and the truth would set us free. God, I pray that you'd fill me and use me and speak through me and have your way. Only say what you want to say, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I am kind of saddened uh, by the state of the church. I'm kind of saddened by the fact that so many Christians, professing Christians, are living in such bondage to sin, right? It seems like you can... You can become a, a Christian, you can believe on Jesus, but really never change anything about your life. And Jesus here today is going to contrast what it really means to be a true believer or a true disciple with what it, what it means to not be a true believer or a true disciple. We've got to understand that Jesus is speaking at the end of the Feast of the Tabernacles. So they've had this seven, the eighth day convocation feast where they've had this big party, lots of people. The party just ended. They're putting out the lights. They're taking down the decorations. But yet there's still a pretty large crowd at the temple when Jesus is teaching. And last week, in the last verse of, that we looked at, verse 30 of chapter 8, he says, and as he was saying these things, many believed in him. So, so last week, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. And, and people believed in him. But then, but then, in verse 31, it says, so Jesus said to those who had believed him, and he kind of begins to sort out. There's some who believe in Jesus, saving faith, but then there's some who just kind of believe him. Yeah, yeah, what you said about that thing is true, but I don't really believe that you're the Messiah. And so he's trying to uh, give us a distinction, some clarity. Who's in, who's out? Who's a true disciple? Who's a false disciple? Who believes? Who doesn't really believe? Who has saving faith? Who doesn't have saving faith? faith, okay? But whenever I was studying the text, as you know, if you've been coming here any period of time, I like things nice and neat, okay? I'm like a nice, neat outline type of preacher, okay? So whenever I study a text, I'm like, these five verses say this, these five verses say that, you know, and I do that kind of thing. And so all week I've been wrestling with this text like it doesn't fit into my nice, neat little box of an outline. It just doesn't fit. You know, what happens is there's really several points, but in the text, they just do this. It's not linear. It's kind of circular. Throughout the whole passage, he's kind of revisiting all of these different ideas. So today, I'm going to give you one point, one statement, one point. Doesn't mean that it's a short sermon. Just one point, and then we're going to unpack it all and see it everywhere in the text today. So here's the point. Point number one. True disciples, um, they know God, they keep his word, and they live free in Christ. So this is the main idea that we're going to keep seeing visited, and you're just going to have to open your eyes and see it. These three things. They know God, they keep his word, and they live free in Christ. True disciples. Now, you've got to understand that he says, verse 31, if you abide in my word, you're truly my Disciples, disciples meaning a learner, a pupil, an apprentice. These are people who would dedicate their life to studying under Jesus and learning everything about him and how he teaches and how he walks and talks and believes and thinks they want to be just like Jesus. And some people like to you know, separate those who believe versus those who are disciples. You can kind of believe in Jesus and, and not be his disciple um, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. How can you believe that Jesus is Lord of your life but not follow him? I, I just don't get that. So I really think this is saving faith, true belief, true disciples. So we want to be his disciples, I guess is the point. He says, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples. If you abide, if you abide. Now the word abide means to uh, remain. It means to um, live in. It's, you're dwelling in. 
And so whenever he says you abide in my word, he's saying you, you live in it, you remain in it, you stay connected to it. The word of God, it, it, it saturates your life. It's a part of a central piece of your lifestyle is abiding, remaining, staying connected to God's word. If you're truly my disciples, you abide in my word. Now, here, here's kind of the idea is that you're not battery powered, right? I think sometimes we think, okay, I'm battery powered. I, I get it, I connect, and then I can go all day or I can go all week without another connect. But what he's saying is you have to remain in it. You have to abide in it. You have to stay connected like you're, you're, you're that whole, you got to be plugged in all day. There's no battery powered with you. And so we get in it, the word, abide in it, but then we memorize it so that we can keep it with us and it can remain in us and we can remain in it. If you're truly my disciples, you'll abide in my word. Psalm 119, 160 says, the sum of your word is truth. He's going to say you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, he's speaking of the truth as a person, Jesus, but the Bible also speaks of truth as God's word. That the sum of your word is truth, Psalm says. Jesus prayed in John 17, 17 in his high priestly prayer. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them in truth. Sanctify means that we're, it, it's this process from the time you know Jesus to the time you're going to heaven in glory. You're becoming more like him. You're, you're growing in holiness and maturity. We're sanctified in truth. Your word is true. So what he's saying is that knowing his word, abiding in his word is the process that God uses to shape and mold us as his disciples. That true disciples um, keep his word, keep, abide, obey, we're going to see in the text today. He says you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Isn't that a pretty famous verse? And we see this verse all over libraries across the nation. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And of course, they're not using that in the sense of you'll know Jesus. They're using that in the sense that you'll gain knowledge. Whenever you gain knowledge, you'll be set free from your ignorance. But that's really kind of ripping this verse right out of context because he's talking about knowing Jesus. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What is the truth? Yes, it's John 14, 6. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I'm the truth. If you'll know the truth, you know Jesus, he'll set you free. Jesus tells Pilate in John 18, 37, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. If you're of the truth, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you listen to the voice of God. You know him. You know him. You know his voice. You know the truth. You know, it's interesting that you can know truth. Truth is knowable. Truth uh, defined, uh, other than being Jesus, truth defined would be that which is a faithful representation of reality. Does it represent reality. If I told you I was a six foot five Chinese woman, would that be true? No, because it doesn't represent reality. And so Jesus being Lord is the reality, is the truth. His word is true. It corresponds with what is real. And uh, so, so the whole idea that we have in our culture right now that truth is relative, you got your truth, I got my truth, and, and everything is just kind of subjective and relative, and it's good for you, it's not good for me. Um, yeah, do you not see how that is like in a direct assault against the personhood of Jesus? If Jesus says, I am the truth, and our world says truth doesn't exist, absolute truth doesn't exist, can you not see how this is a clear assault against the work of God in the world? You'll know the truth, he says, and then the truth will set you free. 
Only knowing Christ will truly, um, can one be truly free. One author wrote this, There is nothing like the freedom we can have in Jesus. No money can buy it. No status can obtain it. No work can earn it. Nothing can match it. It is tragic that not every Christian experiences this freedom, which, he can, which can never be found except by abiding in God's word and being Jesus' disciple. That is through knowing the truth and keeping his word that we experience freedom in Christ. But maybe you, like these guys, just respond this way. Verse 33, they answered him, we're the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone how can it be that you say you will become free? We'll never be slave to anyone. Is that true? Is that true? Like, it's ridiculous that they said this. The whole festival that they've been celebrating is the whole idea that God brought them out of slavery to Egypt and through the wilderness into the promised land. But throughout their history, they've been slave to plenty of people. What about Egypt, as we said, or Babylon, or Persia, or Syria, or right now, they're not in charge Rome is breathing down their neck, okay? So it's like, they're like, yeah, we don't need that. We're free. We're free. Um, yeah, okay. The power, here's the idea. The power of self-deception in the unconverted is infinite. Self-deception. I don't, I don't need that. I don't need that. And um, they deny that they had any significant need for liberation. Now, we do the same too, don't we? We're Americans, right? I'm free. Someone says, hey, are you free Friday night? I'm an American. I'm free every night, right? We're free. And as a result, we say, we can then push back on the invitation of Jesus to be free and say, oh, we don't need that. I've always been a good person. I've always been good and honest and moral, and I've, ne I've never really done anything bad in my life. Here's what they're saying to Jesus. They're saying, uh, thanks, but no thanks. Yeah, the, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Yeah, thanks, but no thanks. I don't, I'm already free. I don't need that. It's the great deception of all those who don't know Jesus. And so whenever I come in here and I preach freedom in Christ, Jesus, Christ wants to set you free, you go, preach to that sinner Preach to the sinners in the room, pastor. You get them. But it's like, no, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. You know, he's to, who's he talking to? He's talking to religious people. He's not talking to the heathens. These are people who are coming to the temple. They're Jewish. They're devout. They know God. They know the Torah. They know things. They are seeking to do God's will. These are religious people he's speaking to. And he's saying, yeah, you need to be free from your self righteousness and your self-centeredness and so boy Jesus answered them truly truly I say they're like we don't need to be free Jesus answered them truly truly I say to you everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin how do I know if I'm a slave to sin anyone who practices sin is a slave to sin now um, practices sin here is is a present active verb it's it's the idea of a habitual, continual sin. This is not occasional sin. All, no one is perfect but Jesus. And so this side of eternity, we're all going to struggle until we reach glory. But um, we're all going to fall into sin. We're all going to have bad, sinful thoughts, sinful actions. But these things should be occasional, not habitual in the life of a believer. If there's some unrepented of pattern of sinful behavior in your life, he says, you're a slave to sin. Now, what, what does a slave do? A slave is this idea of you have a master. You don't get to do what you want to do. Whenever the master calls your name, you answer. We get this idea in 2 Peter 2.19 where he says, for whatever overcomes a person... To that, he is enslaved. Whatever overcomes a person, the thing that calls my name and I can't seem to say no, the temptation's too strong. Yeah, I'm a slave to that. Romans 6.16 says, Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to them 
You are slaves to the one whom you obey, either a slave to sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. You are a slave to the one with whom you obey. And so when the temptation comes, I can't seem to say no. I I just go. I just go. And again, he's talking to religious people, so their sin might not be alcoholism. Their sin might be self-righteousness. That when I walk into the room, I can't help but think that I'm probably the holiest person in the room. I'm probably the most spiritually mature people person here. Or you walk into the room and you can't help but think about the one and only yourself. You're self-centered. And you fall into the sin of everything It has to be about me. How can I stir this conversation to be about me? How can I make myself look best here? And I don't have to tell you that social media has probably contributed to this sin in the life of people, right? We take our best pictures, we, we crop them and edit them and filter them to where they're just right, and then we put it out so everybody can see how glorious we are. And so, um, so maybe your sin isn't the obvious things that you would think of. Maybe it's more the sin of self-righteousness, self-centeredness like these guys. The sin of believing that you don't really need all that much freedom. He goes on, verse 35. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, uh, you will be free indeed. If the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. What a beautiful verse. What a beautiful promise that if the son sets you free. Notice, uh, it's the son who has to set you free. The slave to sin cannot free themselves. You can't change your own status. Someone outside of, so all humanity is enslaved to sin. So someone outside of humanity has to come in to free humanity from their slavery to sin. We can't do it on our own. We can't earn it. We can't work it. The Son has to set you free. You'll be free indeed. Indeed. He's like, you're actually free. You're really free. You're truly free. You're free indeed. Um, see, Jesus frees us from uh, the power of sin and the penalty of sin. Maybe you've heard this before. But Jesus frees us from the power of sin, that the, the sin calls our name, we have to go, and the penalty of sin, eternal damnation, separation from God. The problem is, the sad thing is, that many Christians, we only like to claim the freedom from the penalty of our sin. In the sense of, we're like, I'm saved. I got my ticket to heaven. I got my fire insurance. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to have to pay for my sin. And we embrace the freedom from the penalty of our sin, ultimate damnation. We want to go to heaven. But we never embrace the freedom from the power of sin, which is the ability to live a righteous and holy life. It's the ability to, when sin calls your name, when the temptation comes, I can say no. And, um, and it's just there's a better life. So many Christians, we're walking around and we believe in Jesus, but we never experience freedom from the power of sin. We never begin to actually grow and walk in holiness because every time our slave master calls our name, we go. And freedom is not to do whatever you want. Uh, it's to do what you ought. Freedom is the ability to do what God created you to do. It's not just that I get to do everything I want. You think you're free because you do whatever you want, but um, that's not freedom. That's not freedom. You think you're free from the oppression of 
the, the nuclear family and, and the uh, sexual ethic that's been pushed on you by the church. And you're like, no, I'm free. I don't have to behave in any of those ways. I can do whatever you want. I can sleep with whoever I want. I can eat and drink whatever I want. I can do whatever I want. I can watch whatever I want. I'm free. But no, you're actually a slave to all your sinful desires. And all it's doing is calling you into death. Because that's what sin does. Sin produces death, and when it calls, you can't say no. He wants you to know that if you're in Christ, you are free. You're free indeed. You're really free. Um, Start living free. Start living free. Like, hey, the gate's been opened. Leave the cell. The shackles are loosened. Drop the chains. You're free. Live free. True disciples, they, we know God. We keep and obey and abide in His Word. But we have to live free. We have to live free. We have the ability in Christ to say no. Just try it next time. Try it next time you get tempted. That thing, you know what it is. It's different for different people. But you have that bent that thing that's going to catch you next time, just, just try saying no. Christians have that ability. Verse 37. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. So how do I know if I'm a slave to sin? I practice sin, habitual sin. How do I know if I'm a slave to sin? Not only do you practice sin, but God's word finds no home in you. He says there in verse 37, my word finds no place in you. When you're confronted by God's word about your life and, uh, and about your lifestyle, um, it doesn't mean anything. You don't treasure it. You don't love it. You don't obey it. You don't submit to it. It just bounces off of you. That's why whenever somebody comes to you and says, hey, you're clearly living like contrary to the way we're called to live as Christians, you're like, don't judge me. Don't judge me. Like, it just doesn't do anything. It finds no place in you. And that's a dangerous place to be. When it finds no place in you, you try to change what it says. And you just want to throw out, well, that's not really what the original authors meant. You just don't understand. Okay. Okay. My word finds no place in you. Spurgeon, the great British preacher, considered several ways that God's word should find a place in you. This is what he said. He said, uh, the word of God ought to have an inward place. The word of God ought to have... Uh, the place of highest honor. The Word of God ought to have the place of trust. The Word of God ought to have the place of rule. The Word of God ought to have the place of love. The Word of God ought to have a permanent place in the life of the believer. And so how do I know if I'm a slave to sin? Whenever I'm confronted with God's Word, it finds no place in me. It just kind of bounces off. I don't submit to it. Verse 39 they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, uh, you would be doing the works Abraham did. <laughs> so they're like, Abraham's our father. They're trying to claim the lineage, the promise to Abraham that he's our father. He's the reason we're close to God. And, and, and he's like, you're not even doing the works Abraham did. See, when Abraham was a man of great faith, and whenever, remember whenever um, God sent these angels, these messengers who were going to go and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and, and Abraham welcomed them, and he was hospitable to them, he received them, and he's saying, look, you guys, you don't have any faith, and you're rejecting the one sent by God. You're not acting. If you were children of Abraham, you'd be doing the works Abraham did. And... 30, 40. Now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth. 
that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we are not born of sexual immorality. Probably just um, slamming him. It's getting the name calling business now. They're, they're bringing his mama into this. You know, you can, so not every, you got to understand, not everybody believed the whole virgin birth thing. And so you can imagine as, well, well how, how did you, in, tell us the story of how Jesus came about. Well, an angel visited me, and I was conceived as a virgin. And, yeah, okay. Okay. There's rumors about how Mary went and was unfaithful to Joseph, and Joseph, because he was a good man, he just kind of covered it up. And, and so they would rumor saying Jesus was born out of sexual immorality, but um, not so. We have one Father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your Father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. There it is again. You can't keep my word. It finds no place in you. It, you just can't bear it. You are of your father, the devil. Okay, so, so uh, and you do what you will of your father's desire. So, so here Jesus, he's fighting back now because... Because they like bringing his mama into this. And once you bring mama into this, boy, okay, you want to talk about my mama? Well, guess what? You're of your father, the devil. Yeah, okay. What? The father, the devil? Um, we all imitate our father is, is kind of the, the idea, is that we all imitate our parents, our father, those we look up to. And um, you have two options for uh, spiritual fathers. You can be, uh, your father can be God, that's a good option, or your father can be the devil. But that's the only options, he says here. The only options is either your father is God and you love Jesus, or your father's the devil and you do what he does. You think you're in charge of your life. You think you've been liberated from the constraints of religion, but no, you've been deceived. You are acting like your father. The devil is what he's saying. If you want to bring our parents into this, I'll bring our parents. Your father is the devil. And he says he uh, was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he's speaking out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So he says he's a, he's a murderer from the beginning. Not only did, uh, did the devil influence Cain to kill his brother Abel, the first murder, not only did he influence that, but he also, through his deception, through his lies of, if you eat that fruit, you surely will not die. Through his lies, he caused death to come into the world. So he's brought murder and death into the world. He was the originator of it. He was the first liar, the father of lies. And the original deception started with him. He's the father of lies. Whenever he lies, he's speaking out of his own character. His native tongue is lying. How do you know the devil is lying? He's moving his lips. He's moving his lips. This is why, this is why it is so important at a young age to teach your kids not to lie. Like if you have house rules, I don't know if you have house rules, we have a few. In the top three are no lying. No lying. We are honest people. Because whenever you lie, you are learning the language of the devil. And so this is like, let's, let's get this out of our children at an early age. They need to learn that our language is honesty. Our language is the language of God, which is truth. Whenever we lie, we're speaking like the devil. You go, Jesus. He says, but I tell you the truth, you do not believe in me. 
Which one of you convicts me of sin? Which one of you convicts me of sin? Now, we, whenever we read that, we tend to focus on the fact that no one had any charge to bring against him. When he said this, no one said anything. They, they, they couldn't bring anything against him. But we miss the fact that the fact that he's even making this invitation is huge. He says, which one of you can convict me of sin? Which one of us can say that same thing? Which one of you in this room today can stand up on stage and say, which one of you can convict me of sin? Who can do that? Because pretty quickly, y'all can start coming up with stuff. Because we've all sinned. But Jesus, man, he can make this invitation because he's sinless. This points to his sinlessness. Verse 47, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Now, Whenever he says you do not hear them, he's, he's, he's saying you're not listening. You're not accepting and applying the words of God. Now, whenever, and you know this, I've said this before, that whenever your wife says, do you hear me? Like she's not asking if the sound waves are passing over your eardrums, is she? That's not what she's asking. She's saying, um, are you listening? Are you understanding and applying my words. That's what she means whenever she means, do you hear me? And when Jesus says, you aren't hearing my words, he's saying you're not listening. You're not accepting them. You're not understanding them and applying them to your life. You're not keeping them, as the main point says. We keep his word. We're not keeping them. Verse 48, the Jews answered him, we are not right in saying that you are Samaritan and have a demon. Again, they're just going further into this whole name-calling business. You know, you're Samaritan, Samaritans, they would have just, he, he's calling them a heretic. They would have considered her, Samaritans uh, these religious and, and ethnic half-breeds. They weren't of the pure bloodline of Abraham, but yet they claimed the same promises that Abraham gave, and they had, a, they mingled with pagan practices, and they had a counterfeit temple and a counterfeit uh, sacrificial system. So whenever he says, you're a Samaritan, he's saying, you're a heretic, and, um, and you have a demon. I'm bringing up this demon business again. You have a demon. Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father. And you dishonor me. Yet, I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. So how do I know if I'm a slave to sin? Um, you dishonor God and glorify yourself. He says, you dishonor me. There seems to be in the life of the unconverted an act of hatred for Jesus and the Bible. You can believe anything you want unless you believe that Jesus is Lord and then all of a sudden you're a bigot. That there's, that there's an act of hatred against Jesus. And at the same time, a growing need for self-glory, for self-recognition. One author said about this, no man can... Be said to have a devil who honors God. For the spirit, from the evil spirit from the beginning has been an enemy of all that glorifies the Father. When they say you have a demon, he can't have a demon. He's God. And anyone who is of God cannot have a demon. But he says you dishonor me. They're saying to the God of the universe, to the Son of God, to the second person of the Trinity, they're saying to him, you're a heretic. You're demon-possessed. So he responds in verse 51, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Truly, truly, he says. This is, listen, listen, 
Now, this is important. If there was a time in the message where I said, listen up, I want you to look at me. That's what he's saying here. What I'm about to say next is very important, he goes into it. Truly, a truly listen, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Those who remain in Jesus, who keep his word, who persevere in Christ, will never see death. Never see it means your face is turned from it. When the gospel of the Lord Jesus comes to my soul and I keep his saying by faith, I am turned completely around. My back is upon death and my face is towards eternal life, Spurgeon says. That whenever I come to my back is towards death and my face is towards eternal life. You're never going to see it because you're not headed towards it. Like, I'm going to God. I'm going to glory. I'm going to eternal life. I will never even see it. It's way back there. I'm not facing it. It's not, whenever you die, it's not going to be like there's this really sharp V in the street. And if you just, like, you got to be careful because you might go down the wrong way. No, I'm in the wrong direction. I'm going, I'm going, it's behind me. I'll never see it. Never see death. Man, the closest, this is the closest we're ever getting to death, right? This is the closest we're ever getting to death. We're not seeing that. So the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he'll never taste death. Interesting, uh, just that, did you notice they've already twisted what he said? I mean, it's minute, it's kind of little, but isn't that how the devil, he's just, I'm going to change one word. He, Jesus says, you'll never see death. They say, you say, we'll, we'll never taste death. Is it see or taste? What did he say? He said, see. But because they're of the father of the devil, there's got to be a little, little twist there. And that's why you got to be careful because the enemy isn't going to like give you blatant lies. It's going to be like one little word that changes some of the meaning. And, uh, and then in verse 53, he says, Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Are you greater than Abraham? And what's the answer to that? Yeah. Yeah, I kind of made Abraham. Yep, yep, yep. Am I greater than Abraham? Absolutely. Absolutely. Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Do you see where I get some of the points for this message? It's right there. I do know him, and I keep his word. I know him, and I keep his word. Verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. What is he saying here? He says, your father Abraham Long to see the day, and he, he saw it, and he was glad. And what is he saying here? Some believe that he's talking about the promise of God that God made to Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant, that when God said, through your seed, all the nations will be blessed, being fulfilled in Jesus. That in, in that promise that, that, uh, that Abraham was able to somewhat see uh, the fulfillment. Um, some say that it was when Abraham, uh, God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, his son, and he's bringing him up on this mountain, and he's building this altar to sacrifice his own son. And, and his son's like, hey, Dad, where's the sacrifice? We got the wood, we got the fire, we got you and me and the knife. We got the knife. I saw the knife, Dad, but where is the sacrifice? And, and, and Abraham says, uh, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. And ultimately God stopped him and said no. And that was all a picture of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Maybe he saw it then. 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day and he saw it and was glad. 
Now, this is a side point. This is not the main point of the message. This is speculations. It's just interesting to talk about some of these things. And so take this for what it is. Throw it away if, if you don't like it. But um, what, what if he is speaking of his encounter with uh, Melchizedek? Melchizedek. And if you know Melchizedek, this is in Genesis chapter 14. And um, so Abraham was leaving a victorious but difficult battle. And he came across this priest. And this king and priest kind of comes out of nowhere. Well, Melchizedek means, means the king of righteousness. The king of righteousness. And he's the king of Salem, which becomes Jerusalem, which means peace. So he's the king of righteousness. He's the king of peace. Um, it also says in, in, in uh, Genesis 14 that he is a high priest. He's a priest of the God Most High. So he's a king, and he's a priest, the king of righteousness, the king of peace. Uh, Hebrews 7 tells us that he's without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Yay. Who is this Melchizedek? Who is this Melchizedek? And then uh, Melchizedek comes and brings Abraham bread and wine. Seeing it like communion, and Abraham tithes to Melchizedek, and Melchizedek blesses Abraham. See, many believe that Melchizedek in the Old Testament was a Christophany, which is a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. Before Christ put on flesh in the in in Jesus, he appeared in places in the Old Testament. One being, people believe this is a Christophany. Jesus here is. Melchizedek. So could it be that when he says Abraham saw and was glad that in a way Abraham saw the second person of the Trinity in Melchizedek? Ultimately, we don't know. <laughs> we don't know. I just thought I'd give that to you. Just a little interesting. We don't know exactly. But verse, let's move on. <laughs> verse 58. I was just an aside. Back to the sermon. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they're like, you're not even 50 years old. How have you seen Abraham? Before Abraham was, notice he didn't say before Abraham was, I was. He's not claiming, I'm just really old. You don't, you don't know. He says, before Abraham was, I am. I am. And... Um, we talked about this last week, that I am is the, in the Greek, ego, I, me. It's two words, ego, I, me. The interesting thing about these two words is that both of them mean I am. Ego means I am, I, me means I am. But whenever you, you have them together like this, ego, I, me, it's I am as in I am. In the Old Testament, whenever God came to Moses in the burning bush and Moses said, where do we who do I tell him sent me? And he says, I am. Tell them I am that I am. It's the same in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint. It's the same word. Ego, I me. And so what he's clearly doing is saying, I am God, the one who spoke to Moses out of the bush. That's me. You're looking at him. Ego, I me. I am. Before Abraham was, I am. He is pre-existent deity, is what he's saying. Now, some people will claim that Jesus never claimed to be God. Jesus never claimed to be God, and so we were like looking and no, he never claimed it. He never claimed, he never said, I am God, in the way we want to receive it. But his original audience thought that's exactly what he was saying. Because in verse 59, he says, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. They're ready to kill this man for what they would say is blasphemy. A man claiming to be God. And so it's easy for us, modern, western, English-speaking people to say, Jesus never said, I am God, but that's what he said. That's what he said. I am Ego, I me, I am God. And they wanted to kill him for it. But he hid himself and went out of the temple. Some people speculate that Jesus put on the cloak of invisibility. Like, what did he do? Did he become invisible? How did he just escape this crap? 
I, I don't think it was probably anything like that. It's probably he just, you know, snuck out as people were busy picking up rocks. They turned to grab a rock, and he's like, I'm out of here. It's my time to leave. They thought he was claiming to be God because he was. And so the point of this message is that true disciples, and we want to be disciples, we want to be learners and students of Jesus. We know God. We know his voice. We know the truth. And the truth will set us free. And we keep his word. We abide in it. We uh, allow it to shape us and mold us as his disciples. We are sanctified by truth. His word is truth. And, and we live free in Christ. He's like, you're free. Live free. Keep his word and live free. There's, there's freedom that comes in the soul of the believer whenever you are abiding in the word. Just test it. Just test it. Just try this week. You're like, how much do I need to abide? Try something, you know. It's Fifteen minutes a day. If it's try to memorize something, try to whatever it is. But I, I can just test it. Abide in His Word in some way this week, every day. Get in His Word in some way this week, and see if you don't walk in more uh, freedom in Christ. All right. Would you bow your heads with me? <clears throat> and um, let us just say. Man, if you need to believe on Jesus today for the first time, uh, now's a good time to do it. Now's a good time to do it. We're not promised tomorrow. And if you are not free in Christ, you're a slave to sin. If your father is not God, your father is the devil. And, um, but the beauty is that you have the ability to change families today. You have the ability to change families today. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word that your word is true and that it can be a solid foundation for our life and for our ability to know you. God, I pray that um, you would free us today. Lord, as, as you know, I, I've been praying that we experience freedom in our time in your word this morning. If someone is, is bound by an addiction, would you free them? If someone is bound by an ailment, would you free them? If someone is bound by a pattern of behavior that is contrary to your way, would you free them? If someone's bound by their self-righteousness, would you free them? If someone is bound by their self-centeredness, would you free them, God? If someone's bound by their deception that they don't need to be free would you free them today God I just pray I long to see the day when Christians walk in freedom walk in freedom and so I pray that, that we will know the truth and the truth will set us free and who the sun sets free would be free indeed and we'd live free in Christ I pray you transform the heart who've never trusted you, that they'd surrender to King Jesus this morning, and that you'd come into their life and transform them by the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray they, would, they wouldn't leave here this morning without getting right with you, Lord. That they'd surrender everything. That they know the truth, and the truth would set them free. In Jesus' name, amen.